Welcome in Murray State Basketball Podcast as we've got an off day at the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Murray State, of course, losing to UMass at the Horn yesterday, getting ready to play Tulsa tomorrow in the third place game in Myrtle Beach before they head home. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk with my former tag team partner, Adam Wells. For WPSD, he is over in Myrtle Beach. Get his thoughts on what he has seen so far. We'll also uh, take a peek to what we can expect from Tulsa uh, coming up tomorrow. 9.30 a.m. tip time uh, early for everybody, certainly tomorrow, as uh, at least gives a head start for uh, the Golden Hurricane and the Racers to uh, get the heck out of Myrtle Beach and hit the road and come on back home. All right, stick with me for one second on this. I I acknowledge fully that this is going to come off as somewhat melodramatic, but I just, I started thinking about it and I went and I looked it up and I was, (laughs) sometimes you, you, you think something and you feel like it's true. And then when you actually go look up the, the facts and you're like, I'm just completely off and I'm a moron. Well, again, please hold for the melodrama. I feel like you could argue that almost 13 years ago, Murray State may have sold their soul to the basketball devil to get that win over Vanderbilt in the NCAA tournament. That season, if you remember, back in December, B.J. Jenkins hits a jumper, like two seconds left, they beat Eastern Kentucky. Little later on, Isaac Miles, he hits that three-pointer at the at the buzzer at home, beats Austin P. And then, of course, Denaro Thomas with the greatest shot in the history of Murray State beats Vanderbilt in the NCAA tournament, finally getting that first win in 22 years. Okay. Great year, great game, three buzzer beaters, 31 wins, all's well. All's well. Since the shot went in in San Jose. Murray State has had has played in. Now it's been more than a decade, but they have played in 15 games where a shot was made where a team scored in the final 5 seconds to win the game. And in those 15 games, Murray State has been on the winning side Three times. Three. Jawan Long, the 2012 OVC Championship game, over Tennessee State in Nashville. Jonathan Farrell hit a layup, a second left at Evansville in 2014. And Jonathan Stark in his first game in a racer uniform hits the three on opening night against Illinois State. Those are the moments where the racers are able to, you know, you're either behind or you're tied going into the final five seconds. You hit a shot and you win. And I go back and I look, because the feeling was yesterday, coming out of that UMass game, it's like, why does it always feel like if there is a gut punch to be had in the final five seconds, it's going to go to Murray? And that's because it has just historically happened. 2011, some dude from Eastern Illinois hits a shot with three seconds left to win. 2013, Jacksonville State, two free throws with two seconds left to win. OVC Championship in Belmont in 2013, and then 2015, and then 2020. 
Old Dominion, of course, in the NIT with the 40-footer. Some guy from Tennessee State hits a bucket in 2016 with three seconds left to win. Simo, two free throws with five seconds to win 75-74 in 2017. Moorhead hit a bucket with 4.5 seconds in 2017 to win 101-100 in overtime. Oop, I missed one. John Morant beat, Ev- beat Evansville at the Horn uh, his sophomore year. So, 4-12. and 12. EIU hits the three at the buzzer. That night they were down by 27 at home and come back to win. And then we had UMass. It just, it's all the time. It just feels like if there's a way for this loss to hurt as much as possible, I just feel like on some level, it's just like the basketball gods are like, look, you asked for so long and we finally gave it to you. We finally gave it to you in 2010. But we're going to have, there's going to have to be some payback. A little penance to pay. Oh, racer fans. I feel like the I feel like the price has been paid at this point. The pendulum's got to come swinging back here at some point. At some point. I went back and charted yesterday's game and you know, I I just it's so easy at this time of the year when the sample size is so small that it just feels like every game is this sweeping referendum on the season. You knock off a top 25 team and suddenly you're just, everything is awesome. And then you lose at the horn and it's like, oh, everything's bad. It's like, you know, there's probably some gray area in the middle we can kind of reside in uh, on both sides. You know, that it's never as good or as bad as you feel like it may be in that moment. I thought there was a lot of good that came out of yesterday. There was a lot of good that came out of yesterday. And again, it's, it's 35 minutes of, really, it's two days worth of playing two teams that just want to fight you. Texas A&M wants to get after you. Frank Martin's UMass team wants to get after you. And for 75 of those 80 minutes, I thought Murray just, they held up, they not only withstood the assault, but they they counterpunched and they fought back. And I thought that, there's a lot to be taken from that. Yesterday, foul trouble was an issue. And it made Steve Prohm play lineups he wasn't used to playing so far in the year. You know, Kenny White in foul trouble. I mean, he was the marathon man against AM, only plays 25 minutes yesterday. But what we saw in the second half with him out is that it was the five starters minus White and then add Brian Moore. That lineup of Perry, Wood, Moore, DJ Burns, and Jamari Smith, they that fivesome played together more than any other lineup yesterday. Almost out of necessity in the second half. They played pretty well the first stint early in the half. Then when they got, you know, when we got down to those final four or five minutes, and Murray's offense just really bogged down, and UMass seemed to be scoring every time down the floor when they were making the run, it didn't do uh, as well. But again, Murray State, scoreless on 8 of their last 12 possessions. UMass, scored on 10 of their last 14 possessions. That's sort of the anatomy of a comeback right there. Racers had 3 kills on the night. They had a 3, a 3, and then an 8 early in the second half as they went. 8 straight possessions, they shut out UMass as they were able to start stretching out that lead. 
that's a positive. You know, offensively, though, you know, they allowed UMass to have five kills. And one stretch where it was seven out of eight possessions that was just couldn't get anything going. And again, you have to wonder how much of that was fatigue yesterday, second game in as many days. Steve ultimately, with Quincy Anderson in foul trouble, only played six guys for all intents and purposes yesterday. And in that physical game, I just have to wonder how much of that guys just kind of wore down down the stretch. But I I go back to Steve's first year in 2012. You know, and you had all the usual suspects. And the Cannons and the Daniels and the Longs and the Pools and the Askas and Latrez Muchat. The two guys that were key to that year were Stacy Wilson and Brandon Garrett. And Stacy Wilson and Brandon Garrett were the eighth and ninth guys off the bench. They were the depth. And early in the year, as I am I am intimately knowledgeable of after sitting and watching every interview from 10 years ago, putting down that silly documentary together. That Steve was all but pleading in November. We've got to get Stacy Wilson and Brandon Garrett up to speed to be able to help us. We've got to be able to get those eight and nine guys playing. We've seen the eighth and ninth guy. For the guard, it's Justin Morgan. And as the big, it's Sam Murray. But they are both freshmen. They are both freshmen. Brandon Garrett, Stacey Wilson, they were juniors. Juco transfers, they had had some experience. You've got two freshmen. And the bottom line is, in game four of their freshman year, those are high leverage situations, and Steve is just obviously not comfortable getting them in the game right now. And that's just a byproduct of the schedule that Murray has. I mean... (laughs) Lindsey Wilson was it. That was the only opportunity, really, to be able to kind of ease into trying to get everybody acclimated and up to speed and and all these young guys. Forget all the new guys. There's a lot of young guys on this team, and we have not seen, ultimately, aside from Morgan and Murray, freshmen haven't made any sort of impact in any high-leverage spot. It will come. I think, I think that there is no depth. There is no depth now. It will come. But these guys have got to be able to, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum. They've got to earn Steve's trust. Steve has to feel comfortable putting them in the game. Where it's not, I'm just trying to steal a possession or two. You know, I want to be able to play you for three or four minutes. Give the guys a break and you're not, A, going to not just not hurt us, but help us when you're in there. We've seen Morgan and Murray be able to go in and do good things. But it's just, this is, this is the deep end of the pool they're swimming in this week. And he just doesn't feel comfortable to be able to get much out of them. And that's why you haven't seen them play for any considerable amount of time. I expect that to change moving forward. Four games into these guys' freshman year, they're just not there just yet. I thought going back, you know, and we've talked about the offensive rebounding woes. Uh, with this team, uh, let's see, 37.3% of the time when an opponent misses a shot, they're getting their offensive rebound. 
Uh, the national average is just under 29%. That ranks 329th in America. There's about 360 teams. So, I mean, you're looking at the bottom 10% in the country in giving up offensive rebounds. And we said after the AM game, he gave up 20. I was like, that's not a sustainable number for success. And yesterday it was 17. 13 in the first half. Did better in the second half at being able to rein those in, but a huge sequence. UMass had come back to tie it. You had the alley-oop to Jamari Smith, and then Smith with the steal ahead to Brian Moore. He goes up and dunks it. Timeout Frank Martin. It's 52-46 with 12 and a half to go. Still an eternity to go. But just like against A&M, Murray had taken the shot, and now they were counterpunching back. And on the very next possession coming out of that timeout, UMass gets two offensive rebounds. And on the third shot, when they kick it out, they knock down a three and get it back to 52-49. Instead of up six with the ball, now it's three again. And that was just the up, that was just such a huge sequence uh, in this game that, you know, in the breadcrumbs of looking back of what could we have done along the way to to make this uh, result be a little different, that was certainly uh, one of the spots. The other thing, and I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the real rationale is on this, but Murray's not forcing turnovers. I don't know what uh, rationale, but like the reason that you can point to, like that's you know they're not making shots, they're not getting rebounds, but they're not forcing turnovers. They're only forcing turnovers. 12% of the time, basically one out of every eight possessions, they force a turnover. The national average is 19% of the time you do it. They're only doing it 12% of the time. That's bottom 10 in America. It's like when you're struggling to rebound and you're not able to turn the ball over, it's like, gosh, so you're just you're 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 giving them extra chances and you're not giving yourself extra possessions by being able to turn them over, steals, layups, and such. With that said, I, I feel like the rebounding thing is still a correctable issue. Got to be able to keep Jamari Smith and DJ in the game as much as possible. You got to be able to keep Kenny White in the game. You know, we talk about four guards. He, as we said the other night, he's the biggest guy on the team. It's like he needs to be on the floor as much as possible for that size. When they swapped him out, brought Brian Moore in, I mean, you're looking at a seven, eight inch differential there between the two, and certainly a massive rebounding element is off the floor without Kenny White. It's just got to be that all-hands-on-deck situation. All that said, I just, I, I, today, again, from the sweeping referendum standpoint, I think big picture, I feel like it's going to be all right. There are going to be games this year, much like A&M, where you're like, I can't believe they won that game. And then there's going to be games like yesterday where you're like, I can't believe they lost that game. I just feel like there's going to be a lot of those games this year. But from where we were 11 days ago in St. Louis, where you open up and sort of bottom out on, on game one against a really good team, but still just a lot of a lot of red flags in that game. And the, the red flags were corrected, and we haven't seen those really since. Um, I, I think that I think there's a lot of reason to be optimism, optimistic and have optimism uh, coming out of this weekend in Myrtle Beach. 
Of course, I say that today. We'll see what happens tomorrow uh, against Tulsa. Uh, for you points per possession, folks, um, just looking at, again, that starting five. Unfortunately, they didn't get to play on the floor very much yesterday because of because of foul trouble with White and with Jamari Smith. But, I mean, defensively, giving up .071 points per possession, that is tremendous. I mean, that is outstanding. They have been the best defensive five all year. Just got to be able to keep them on the floor. All right. Time to bring in uh, Adam Wells uh, from WPSD over in Myrtle Beach as uh, he's been able to watch these games in person so far this week. Get his thoughts on, on what we've seen so far in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. All right, Adam Wells in Myrtle Beach. Um, I guess, number one, how much beach time have you gotten so far? Feel free to make me uh, jealous. I stepped on the beach maybe once, but the fact that I can look out the beach out my window is probably good enough considering it's been in the mid-50s here all week. But I can't complain. I, I, you can see there's like palm trees and I'm sure. at a marina right now. I can't complain. I can't complain. All right. Fair enough. All right. You've been there all week with the guys. Uh, before we get into yesterday, I guess just – well, maybe a little yesterday. Just big picture right now um, from, the, from the last time you left them. How are they – boy, the highs of highs uh, against A&M and then obviously just the gut punch loss uh, to UMass yesterday. What, what's sort of the general vibe around the team right now? I think if you're within the program right now, I think they're disappointed in, in what yesterday's result was because I think Coach Prome, you know, knew what was in front of this team, an opportunity to play in a, you know, regular season tournament championship because those don't come around that often. I mean, the last time Marie did that was back in, in the 2011-2012 season when they, you know, won the Great Alaska Shootout. Uh, and so Coach Prome knows what that can do for a team. But I think overall outside the program, I think that people feel – a lot more um, comfortable uh, with where this team is right now, considering where they were, you know, one week ago coming off of that, you know, blowout loss to St. Louis and, you know, picking up that win over Texas A&M and playing the way they did yesterday. Uh, I really think the overall feel around and outside the program is very positive. I feel like coming into this week and certainly coming out of the slew game, we just didn't know. And I feel like it's going to be the theme for a while. We just, we just don't know what you necessarily have with this team. But what you saw against AM was it raised – I said it raised the ceiling on, okay, we know they can play this well. Now it's just a matter of how often they can get to that level. Uh, in terms of the guys, and, you know, Jacoby Wood is the dude that scored six, point, six points a game last year for, for Belmont. And then to go 24 or 23 against AM and then 24 last night. I, I sat through a lot of practices this year. I don't know that I saw him make five shots in, in, in the month. And it's like, holy cow, if this is what he can be. I mean, he, he has been the, the pleasant surprise so far for me, at least. Absolutely. I think, you know, talking to a couple of Murray State fans, you know, coming up here and before they even played the Texas AM game. You know, we had questions about several of the players and what kind of roles they were going to fill on this team. I think we were pretty comfortable with, you know, the, what, you know, DJ was going to bring and, and, you know, Jamari kind of potentially being a guy that can get you points. But as far as the point guard position, you know, Murray State's been so great at that position over the last couple of years when they've had great teams. And, you know, we weren't we didn't really see a lot of Jacoby those first two games of the year. I mean, because I guess he didn't have to do anything and then he really didn't do much against St. Louis. But to see him do that and facilitate what he did, 
I think that's an extreme positive. And the fact that, you know, he's a guy that if he goes to the free throw line, as we've seen the last two nights, I mean, he's going to make them over 90% of the time. And when he, when he shoots, it doesn't hit the rim at all. So he's a guy that I think Coach Prome is is slowly getting comfortable with, and I know he knows a guy that you know he can run this team, and uh, you know as you put it in the past, be the quarterback, you know, for this football team or basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's when you have a closer like that, to somebody that you have confidence to be able to go hit 95 percent from the line. That's uh, we'll see. <laughs> I don't expect that all year, but at this point, I don't know what we're supposed to expect from a lot of things. All right, Jacoby aside, what has been the biggest uh, positive for you? Uh, so far this week? I think the the, the relentless uh, effort that this team has shown uh, when they've kind of had their backs against the wall and, you know, whether it's the A&M game where A&M made a big run in the second half and they were able kind of to, to fight through that adversity and, and, you know, several times against UMass, they were able to do that. I mean, throughout the final four minutes of that game when UMass made that big run, you know, Murray State has shown that they can take punches and, and punch right back. Uh, against uh, UMass, I mean, or in early parts, portions of that second half, you know, UMass went on a big, like, 7-0, 8-0 run, tied the game. Murray State countered that in the next minute or so and went on a 6-7-0 run of their own, and then that's when they pushed that lead out to 10. So I think that seeing that out of this team against this type of competition and level of competition is extremely positive to see, and I think that's really been surprising to me, especially – you know, the sample size that we had already coming in was small, but a lot of that's just based off of what they did against St. Louis. All right, flip side of the coin, rebounding seems like it's the, the real sticking point right now, uh, just giving up an obscene amount of offensive rebounds to their opponents. Uh, is that really the, the big red flag for you right now? I would say so. I'd say that was is definitely glaring. I mean, double-digit offensive rebounds in both of those games, and Again, you're able to fight off that a little bit, but, you know, if, if that continues throughout the season, the racers, unfortunately, are not going to be on the losing end of more games than not because you just can't win basketball games and you're giving up that many offensive rebounds. Yes, Texas A&M and, and, and UMass were bigger teams, but I think Murray State's got to do a better job of, of blocking guys out, as, as Coach Brum will say, trying to fight and just be that undersized guy that wins those battles and they won some, but just it's just not enough. And I think, honestly, that was a huge downfall against UMass. There was one possession that UMass had in that game in the second half where I think they missed two or three shots in a row, got about two or three offensive boards in a row, eventually hit a three, and that kind of kick-started their run to close that gap. And that just can't happen going forward. So I think that's a big, um, you know, red flag for this team. And I, I've – and Coach Brown that he'll get that fixed, and you know, especially when they start playing teams that are more at their level. I mean, I mean, Murray State just doesn't have you know the size that some of these SEC teams do, but obviously they came out on top of that one. Well, we've seen you know having to go four guards because right now it, it's yeah. obvious Steve has DJ and he's got Jamari Smith, and those are really the only big guys he trusts right now to play yeah. in these high leverage spots. And you know, unlike in past years, you don't have the you know, a whole slew of Campbellsvilles and Brescias and, and Alabama A&Ms to try to try to work out the kinks with these young teams. And he's riding with who we trust. Tomorrow it's Tulsa. Uh, I don't know if you've got a chance to see them at all, but uh, you know, another another team coming from the American that uh, it's a big opportunity for these guys to be able to come home, come home feeling good about themselves, taking two out of three. Yeah, absolutely. I think coming in, if you would have told me they would have picked up one win, 
I would have said that would have been a really good positive. But the fact that they have a chance to go two and one in this tournament, I think regardless of the fact that they, you know, let yesterday slip away, if they can go back to Murray two to one uh, in this tournament against the quality competition, I think, gosh, I mean, they're in such a great place as they, you know, start to turn their attention to uh, conference play, which begins in a, in a week and a half. Uh, and, and you start playing teams that are at that, you know, more of Murray's level. But I think, it's extremely positive the fact that, you know, they can leave here two and one. I haven't really seen Tulsa play, so I can't really tell you too much about it. Um, but, you know, I've seen a little bit of every team that's played in this tournament, and every team in this tournament has, has been high quality. And Murray State fits right in with them. And I think, you know, if you're a Murray State fan, that gives you extreme, uh, you know, positive vibes, you know, heading into the, the next chunk of the season. All right, Adam, thanks. Enjoy tomorrow. Appreciate it, Jeff. I will think about you as I'm looking at the beach. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. I'm glad he's a thousand miles away so I can't choke him. All right, tomorrow, 9.30 a.m., it is Murray State and Tulsa, both teams trying to get uh, out of Myrtle Beach with two wins uh, on the week. The quick uh, nickel scouting report on Tulsa, uh, two and two coming in, uh, lost on the road at Oregon State by three. Uh, struggled with Jackson State, 85-79 at home. Did get that win. And then there in Myrtle Beach, really hammered Loyola by 19 and then uh, lost to Charlotte in the semifinals, 68-65. They got four players that average in double figures. Sam Griffin, uh, a couple of guards that are going to be of issue coming up tomorrow. Sam Griffin, almost 20 points a game. Shoots 45% from three-point range. Brandon Betson, about 12 points per game. He's shooting north of 57% from three. Uh, not a high-volume shooter, but I mean, he's 8 of 14 so far for the year. So you're certainly going to have to go out uh, and get him. Tulsa as a team, 26th in the country, shooting 42% from beyond the arc. And if we get into a free-throw shooting contest where yesterday with UMass, a team that shoots 60% as a team from the line, well, Tulsa, they are shooting north of 80%, almost 81%. That is uh, top 20 uh, in America. So today, a day of rest for Murray State for the most part. A lot of film work uh, as they get ready for the Golden Hurricane tomorrow. An early tip-off again, 9.30. They'll tip it off. We'll have another uh, quick ride home edition of the podcast when that one is over uh, afterwards. And and hopefully, racers are heading home. So again, come home. Next week, it's Chattanooga. And then we're in to Missouri Valley Conference play. Illinois State uh, ready to roll. I don't think I'm missing a game. I feel like I'm missing a game in there. But uh, it is. it will be Chattanooga is the, uh, is the next one on deck. So just not much uh, rest at all in terms of, of you're looking for a breather on the schedule. Have not found um, one of those yet. And, of course, as I'm trying to stall and pull this up and this – Silly, silly app is taking its sweet, sweet time. All right, so Tulsa, Chattanooga next Saturday. So you got a little bit of time there. Yeah, and then that's it. Thursday night, December 1st, home for Illinois State. And then Sunday you head to Valpo. Uh, So time to roll. Time to roll for uh, Murray State. All right, 9.30 tomorrow, Murray State, Tulsa. We'll have uh, uh, another podcast when we get back. But uh, thanks for listening to Murray State Basketball Podcast. Check us out at Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast we will talk to you tomorrow